Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. Coming up, it's considered magic or maybe a fairy tale. It's the idea of pulling energy out of thin air. Today we'll talk with CU Boulder electrical engineer Garrett Modell. He'll explain why scientists really are trying to pull energy from thin air and why, if they succeed, it might expand renewable energy production and help cool the planet. Solar panels do a pretty good job of converting sunlight into electrical energy for powering computers, cell phones, TVs, electric cars. You might think of useful electric energy like the smooth, steady sound of a prayer bowl, like this. But a lot of solar energy hitting solar panels ends up as heat, which is more staticky, like this. Heat energy is hard to convert into useful energy. Mostly heat just heats things up. Wouldn't it be lovely if we could capture the chaotic energy of heat and turn it into more useful, more coherent energy? We could harness the heat that hits a solar panel. We could get useful work out of the heat generated by our computers, our ovens, or anything else that heats up. And in the process, things that heat up would end up cooling off. About a decade ago, CU Boulder electrical engineer Garrett Modell wrote the book on how to harness heat energy. Modell really did write a book. It's titled Rectenna Solar Cells. Rectenna is sort of like a radio antenna on your car, channels radio waves into something you can hear. Well, the idea of a rectenna is to channel heat energy into something we can use. The idea of rectennas has been around for 70 years without much headway toward commercially practical ways to make rectennas. But that day is getting closer. Last month, Modell co-authored a paper that represents a breakthrough in rectenna technology. Modell's co-author is CU Boulder postdoc Amina Belkadi. The innovation was really the material combination. Nickel on one side and chromium and gold on the other side and then inside nickel oxide and aluminum oxide. Belkadi has figured out how to use incredibly thin wafers of metal to capture chaotic heat energy and calm it down into more useful energy, where the electrons basically stop dashing all around and instead line up in a quantum sort of way that even lets them pass through solid objects without any effort whatsoever. It's a process dubbed resonant tunneling. It's very mysterious. Bottom line, resonant tunneling helps bring order to the wildly moving electrons generated by heat. Belkati's tiny wafers are roughly 100 times more efficient at capturing heat energy than similar tools under development. Belkati says it'll be at least 10 years more to make her new Rectenna technology widespread. But she says when it happens, we may be in for a more productive and a cooler world. We can help the planet not just generate our energy, we can cool the surface of the Earth. Amini Belkadi is a CU Boulder electrical engineer who's made a breakthrough for rectennas for channeling heat into useful energy. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.
Today, our guest is CU Boulder Electrical Engineering Professor Garrett Modell. We're going to just jump right in and talk with him here on Zoom today. Garrett, good morning. Good morning. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to have you here in the red studio here at KGNU Boulder on the computer, actually. But but we're going to go through and check on some of the things that you're doing to pull energy out of thin air. Let's start by how you describe yourself yourself. Among people who are not scientists, what do you think you're best known for doing? I've been working on energy harvesting research for essentially all of my career. So that involves solar cells and most recently some really exotic energy harvesting. What we're talking about today is harvesting heat. And so really that is my main area I was interested just in hearing the news before our discussion here about how there's a a migration of people and the oceans are being polluted and all sorts of things that are really functions of uh, not enough energy. If we had a good source of energy that was really ubiquitous and low cost, it could make such a difference to so many people's lives. Well, Garrett Modell, it's not only not enough energy, but it's the kinds of energies that cause excess heat when we use them. There's that combination of problems right now with the kind of energy we have. We have energy that is a little hard to get. It's expensive to extract. And then the energy that we use, it tends to leave a lot of pollution. And one form of pollution is heat. Yes, Let's back up a little bit because we're talking about how humans can do these things. Right now, humans are very good at using energy sources that heat up the planet. That's one thing that's happening. But let's talk about another form of life on Earth that has managed to use energy without heating up the planet, and that's a plant. A plant is constantly using its own solar panels called leaves, or algae has solar panels inside of itself to extract energy from light. Why is it that plants are able to extract energy so well? And why do they use the kind of light that we can see, too? Why don't they use heat? Light comes in different wavelengths. And if the uh, light is too long a wavelength, then the uh, way that the chlorophyll is structured in plants won't work. Therefore, uh, something like heat which is very long wavelength light, very low energy light, is not sufficient to produce photosynthesis. And nature has designed this uh, to work optimally. So nature has designed this for plants to use. Is it a lower entropy kind of light, the light that's coming from light that we can see? You're shaking your head. Right. It's not lower entropy. It's lower energy. The entropy for any sort of light from a black body, from, in other words, from a radiation, whether it be from the sun or from the earth, it all has entropy. So I'm out of my field here, so I'm going to stop talking about entropy and instead talk about most bang for the buck. The light spectrum that we can see has a high concentration of energy that plants are able to extract, but they don't extract heat energy. Right. And you're thinking that with photovoltaic cells or anything else that we're figuring out how to extract energy like plants do, we're missing a key element, and that's to also extract energy from heat. Exactly. Using this long wavelength, low photon energy light, which is heat, is quite uh, a challenge. Uh, As you suggest, our solar cells and so on, just as with plants, 
are designed to use the high-energy light. Uh, and the technology that we have is specifically for uh, heat and converting heat into electricity. That's the technology that you're working on there at CU Boulder in your quantum energy devices laboratory. You have some patents and some plans for how you could maybe take a solar panel and not only extract energy from the light, but say when the sun goes down, extract it from the radiant heat that's left over that makes everything kind of hot when the sun goes down for a while. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yes, that is what we're looking at. The sun has a temperature that's effectively 5,800 Kelvin. So that's a very high temperature. The Earth at room temperature is roughly 300 Kelvin, which is much lower. And that means that the energy that the Earth is radiating is much, much longer than the wavelength that the sun is radiating. But if we could use it, that would be wonderful. How do you catch that stuff? One of the key issues in converting any sort of heat into power is that you need a difference in temperatures. So in other words, something like a steam engine uses a hot steam and spews it out into the colder environment. And it's that difference that drives the energy in one direction and allows you to convert it. So if we want to convert ambient energy, the energy all around us that's radiating from the earth or from objects or from thin air, we need a difference. We need a lower temperature somewhere else. But we don't have a lower temperature. We're just living at this temperature. So how do you find it? You have to go into outer space. And so we know that deep space is very cold. And so if we can absorb the energy from the earth and uh, then uh, send the waste heat up into space uh, through radiating it, then we can, we can accomplish this. And that's what our technology is aiming for. But, but, you know, as little as I know about this, I am thinking of this problem we have called the greenhouse effect, where the heat that we have in our planet right now is getting stuck without getting out into outer space where things are nice and cool. It's getting stuck Basically, we're soiling our nest. We're, we're taking the pollution of the excess heat, and we're keeping it trapped here. How do you make a pathway for the little bit of heat energy here to travel up into outer space where it's cool to make that differential to make us basically a steam engine that would generate electricity? That's exactly the right question. And the answer is we need to find a window in the atmosphere. <clears throat> that is, we need to find wavelengths in which uh, light can be emitted into deep space without being trapped by the atmosphere. And it turns out that the atmosphere has a window, meaning a region where it doesn't absorb, <clears throat> between a wavelength of 8 microns and about 13 microns. Okay, let's talk about microns a little bit, because those things are teeny tiny. If I take right. my hair right here, and I were to say, how wide is my hair? It would be what, like 100,000 or more microns? It's really, uh, how, how, how? No, it, 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 yeah, it's tens of microns thick. So microns are re really tiny. But a way to look at this is the wavelength of visible light is a little bit less than one micron. Oh. Uh, when we're talking about radiating at 8 to 10 microns, that means we're looking at a wavelength that's about 10 times the wavelength of visible light. Okay, so that's um, 
that's bigger. It's bigger and it's infrared. And so it's something you can't see. Uh, and uh, fortunately, the atmosphere does allow us to radiate that. So Garrett Murdell, even though we have greenhouse effect, even though we have a lot of CO2 in the um, atmosphere and methane gases and things that are tending to trap a lot of heat energy inside the atmosphere, you're saying that there's this one place where it's infrared that's still getting out. Right. Oh my goodness. Um, there are. This was initially used as a way to do passive cooling. If you could take heat, uh, say, from a building and channel it into this range of wavelengths, you could cool a building. And there are a couple of professors at CU who have uh, really pioneered that. Uh, Zhao Bo Yin and Rangui Yang have, in mechanical engineering have done wonderful work with that. Now, when you say wonderful work, does that mean they actually have this happening, or is it theoretical work that says someday this could be happening? No, they're, what their big contribution is, they're making it practical. They've, they actually make panels, uh, which are low-cost panels that you put them outside, uh, sitting in normal temperature, and they cool down just by passively radiating. Do you mean that if I had these on my patio and it was a hot day, if I sat really close to the panel, it'd be a little bit cooler? Yep. And it would also maybe run a light bulb? Well, so that's the second part, and that's what we're doing. So what they're doing is the radiating to cool. What we're doing is uh, converting that radiation into uh, electrical power that you can use. Now, Garrett Modell, we had um, a little bit of a snippet from Amina Belkani, one of your, I think she's a postdoc in your department, and she has been working on this amazing rectenna, which is this incredibly thin film that helps there be a way that this energy can turn into little electrons going in a studious little chain to create electricity. Right. So uh, uh, two, two uh, they're now both uh, uh, doctorates in my lab. Amina Belkadi and Ayendra Wirakodi worked together on this project. And what they did is improve something that we're calling an infrared or uh, uh, optical rectenna. Uh, so it, it'll take me 30 seconds to explain what that is. You better explain it. <laughs> so normally, when a solar cell absorbs light, it takes each particle of light and absorbs it directly, and that, that uh, energy frees an electron, which is then used uh, for electrical power. But there's a completely different way of doing this, and that is like a radio receiver. So a radio receiver picks up the waves, and uh, then these waves are oscillating extremely fast. And that means they're going, ooh, 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 ooh like this, very fast. Right. Okay. Uh, except if you could do that at a million, billion times a second. Um, and so you need to convert that million, billion uh, frequency in, uh, uh, into... Uh, DC electrical power. And that's a little bit like taking ooh and making it go ooh. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the issue there is that we need extremely small antennas because the wavelength of the light, as we discussed a little bit earlier, is in the micron range. Yeah. And we need extremely 
extremely fast electronics to convert that oscillating uh, incoming wave into a, a DC power. And so a rectenna does that, an optical rectenna. Now, Garrett Modell, when I think of an antenna, I think of something from a 1960s car that sticks up or, or a ham radio antenna. But when Amina Belkani was explaining this, she was talking about something so small you can't see it, something that could interact with an atom that is so thin that it is basically only one atom or one electron thick. It's incredibly thin, this uh, rectenna that she's talking about. Uh, so the antenna part, you're right, is much smaller. It's uh, uh, on the order of, it's about uh, a little bit less than a millionth of a meter in, in its lateral dimension. And, and, and so it's basically something that you could make be a film that would go, for instance, on a photovoltaic cell. If only you could make it be precise enough to work because it has to be very precisely thin. Right. And so you would coat the film with, uh, you know, uh, billions and billions of these, uh, which is or, or coat the substrate, which is what we do. The second part, though, is the electronic part that converts the incoming wave into DC power, and that's the part that's extremely thin. That's the part that Amina and Ayendra have worked on and made a lot better than it was. It's a, it's called a diode. In our case, it's a metal insulator, metal diode, and uh, it works extremely fast. And they've made it work a lot more efficiently. And so um, I'm trying to think about how to picture this. We want to use that uh, special way to get heat energy up into space through infrared waves that aren't trapped by the greenhouse effect. And in the process, along the way, we want it to generate energy. And your CU Boulder group of electrical engineers and mechanical engineers are finding the bits and pieces to put together to someday make this happen. It, can I, I can't buy this at a store right now. How far away are we from getting this? Uh-huh. Um, so it may not be that far away. Uh, uh, and that is that there is a, a group at Stanford that has actually made some semi-practical devices like this. They're about hockey puck size and uh, they generate enough electricity to produce to light a little tiny light indefinitely. It starts with a little tiny light. Any innovation starts with lighting a little tiny light. You know now, yeah, make, but to make it really practical, we've got to make the efficiency much better, and that's at least a decade, maybe two of, of work that's required. One thing that's intriguing about this is that right now we're in a dilemma where we're warming the planet more than we mean to, and that's causing a lot of problems. We could also have times where we're cooling the planet too much. This is an interesting technology because it might have a way to have a volume switch on temperature by using technologies like this someday. Um, You'd need an awful lot of this stuff (laughs) in order to make a difference to the planet in that way. I think the, the bigger difference is, is what you uh, mentioned a little bit earlier. You know, we'd be using less carbon-based fuels. And that, that would make a difference all by itself. And so, you know, we have just a couple of minutes left before we need to sign off. Let's, let's make a plan, Garrett, for you to send me a few links to your work that we can put on the How on Earth Radio website. What are some parting comments that you would want to share with our listeners in the next minute or so? Uh, that. We really are on the edge 
of uh, a number of new energy technologies that we hadn't considered using before. Up to now, we've been based initially on coal and then uh, carbon-based fuels from petroleum and so on. Uh, then we've been moving into uh, wind and solar power. And I think there are some exotic things on the horizon that are going to be really interesting that don't have the disadvantages of, say, solar energy, which is great, but it, the problem is the sun shines only at night in, in the day. Um, and there, there are going to be fascinating things coming up. Ways to get energy even when the sun goes down, even when the wind isn't blowing, from pulling energy out of the warmth that's naturally in our thin air. Uh, that is one way, yes, and I think that that one is coming soon. Well, thank you again. Uh, we've been speaking with CU Boulder electrical engineer Garrett Modell. Modell heads up CU Boulder's Quantum Energy Laboratory. Among other projects, his lab is working to extract usable electric energy from the radiant heat that is so common here on planet Earth. Thank you for joining us, Garrett Modell. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender.